This section was designed to get you ready to understand the mathematical representation of waves, and to do that you really need to understand complex numbers, which is why this section has been all about complex numbers. After reading this section, you should understand that there's nothing really imaginary about imaginary numbers. These are simply numbers on a different number line, specifically a number line like that shown in figure 1.8, which is perpendicular to what we call the real number line, which is just the original horizontal number line. And once you've got two perpendicular number lines, that's when you can call the numbers on the horizontal one real and the numbers on the vertical one imaginary. It's also important to understand that this is where the square root of minus 1 comes in, as shown in figure 9. If multiplying by minus 1 reverses the direction of a vector, then you can imagine doing two operations, one after the other, each of which rotates the vector by 90 degrees. So if multiplying by minus 1 reverses the direction, then multiplying by the square root of minus 1 must be a 90 degree rotation. So make sure you're solid on understanding the square root of minus 1, which we call i, often called j in engineering text. Make sure you understand why that is equivalent to a 90 degree rotation on the complex plane, which is what we call these two perpendicular number lines. Once you've got complex numbers as a real number along one axis and the so-called imaginary number along the other axis, I think you can see why we introduced vectors and vector components in the section before this one. If you look at equation 1.11 in this section and compare it to 1.7 from the previous, you see that just as z, the complex number, consists of a real part and an imaginary part, so too the vector a consists of an x part and a y part. And in the same way as you find the magnitude of a vector, you can find the magnitude of a complex number by squaring and summing the real and imaginary parts as shown in equation 112. And you can find the angle from the positive real axis measured anti-clockwise using the arctan of the imaginary part over the real part as shown in equation 113. There's also a little discussion of the idea of the complex conjugate of a complex number, which is simply the same complex number with the sign of the imaginary part reversed, as shown in equation 1.14. The reason we introduce that here is, as you'll see in later chapters, the magnitude of a complex number is often written as the square root of the number times its complex conjugate, as shown in equation 115. Writing complex numbers in this way, with a real part plus i times the imaginary part is sometimes called the rectangular form, but we also discuss the polar form in which the complex numbers are represented by the magnitude and the angle as shown in equation 117. And the example in this section has lots of numbers for you to convert from the rectangular form to the polar form. You should also make sure you understand the idea of the unit circle, which as described in this section is simply a circle in the complex plane at a distance of one unit from the origin. And as it says in equation 119, any complex number on that unit circle can be represented as the cosine of theta plus i times the sine of the angle theta, where theta is the angle measured anti-clockwise from the positive real axis. You can see why that's true in figure 113, and you can also see that the magnitude of any number on the unit circle comes out to be 1. The last bit of this section is a brief introduction to the concept of phasers, which you can think of as rotating vectors, as shown in figure 114. In this case, the phaser represents a vector of magnitude 1, and you see it spinning anti-clockwise around the unit circle. This phasor concept is extremely important in understanding the Euler relations, which are the subject of the next section.